as we just jump right in, we're focusing on this Passion Week as we enter into it with Palm Sunday, and this Friday we'll have Good Friday service here at 7 o'clock, and then sunrise service. This week is very hectic for pastors, usually, but it's so rich, it's so rewarding, it's so beautiful. And you can't have an Easter unless you have a Good Friday. And we can't really understand what joy and happiness is unless we recognize what hardship and trials are. And the ultimate way that God shows us beauty of triumph and life is to allow us to go through death in our sin and to ourselves so we could be fully alive. And that journey is a rhythm, it's a liturgy of life that we want to go through, not just a checklist, but we want to experience this depth of darkness so that we could experience a joy of life. And we know how it all ends. Christ wins and Christ reigns. And I just want to invite you to journey with us, not just today, but this Friday, even the sunrise service at 6 and uh, the main celebration worship. Um, Going into Palm Sunday, the more I think about Palm Sunday, the more I come back to this reality that Palm Sunday is really answering this question, is Jesus truly the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for? The Jews have been waiting for centuries. Is the Messiah coming? And Palm Sunday is actually, even though it may be not fully seen by Israel, the crowds that went from Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Palm Sunday is welcoming Jesus as the Messiah. And he rides in, we know this, on a donkey. Uh, we, we know that he came into Jerusalem and people were waving palm branches as a sign of victory. The king has come. And in Luke's text, we see that people take off their clothes and laid it at their feet. Um, ladies or men, you know, did you ever have someone take their clothes off before you and say, hey, let me, let me get that for you, you know, walk over. It's kind of weird. We don't see that custom in 21st century America. But can you imagine the whole city just making this pathway for Jesus? And so I want to look at this text through the lens of the Old Testament, asking three questions that many of you might be asking. And so the first question is, what is up with riding a donkey? I'll do this, okay. What is up with riding on a donkey? And in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, it says, And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So instead of a horse, instead of a chariot, instead of an Uber, or instead of a cart, they set a colt. And Jesus planned this all out. And it's hard for us to think today, I know how I should make my wedding beautiful. I'll have the bride come down on a beautiful donkey. You know, no one thinks like that 21st century. But in this day and age, riding on a donkey was a sign of royalty and nobility. It was a sign of of reverence and and someone who's, who's important. And it goes back to Old Testament, and I want to go back to 1 Kings even. King David, we see this imagery, he's getting old and he's dying. And King David has many sons. And one day, one of his sons, Adonijah, says, you know what? Dad's getting old. He's dying. You know who's going to be king? Friends, I'm going to be king. And so he sets himself as a king, tells everybody, and has a big party. And prophet, Prophet Nathan says, oh my goodness, what's going on here? 
And one of, his, one of David's wife, Bathsheba, says, this ain't right. And so they go to David and say, David, I thought you said Solomon was going to be the king. Now, Adonijah, your other son, is saying he's king. Who's the king? And so David says, I want Solomon to be king. And this is what he writes in 1 Kings chapter 1. This is what he says. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zedek the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. What is David doing? This is so beautiful. He's saying, here's how I want Israel to know that the true king, the one that I've picked, the one that God wants as king of Israel, he will come riding on my own mule. He's not going to have a sign. He's not going to have a poster. The sign is he'll be anointed and he'll come riding on a mule. And so what we see here is there is a direct connection. Jesus coming in on a mule is not an accident. What one thing we're realizing, why is he riding on a colt? On the world of many, many kings, many, many rulers, Jesus is saying there is only one king, and he has come. I am the true king. Like Adonijah, Caesar thought he was king, right? Roman Empire. Caesar says, I am king. I am God. And in the land of people where people said, I am king, Jesus comes in riding on a mule and says, no, here's a true king that God has appointed. You know, just pausing from that point alone, I think a lot of us can be like Adonijah. This is how we're at, like Adonijah in 21st century. Yes, God is king, but you know who's real king of my life? It's me. I get to rule my life the way I want. My children are my king. My kids, oh my goodness, my children, they're, they're my everything. My whole world revolves around my children and grandchildren. That's, and we're like Adonijah. They're not your kings. You're supposed to steward them. They don't rule over your entire life. Sometimes we say, my self-centeredness, my money, my glory is king. And what Jesus is saying to us today is, as he rides in on a mule, there is only one king that God has set before you. And he's the one that's riding on a colt coming in. Second, the question is, why is he riding on a colt? What is a colt? It's a baby, baby donkey. It's a baby horse or a baby donkey. And so does, does it matter that Jesus sat on a colt? Does it matter? In Luke chapter 19, verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Uh, most commentators believe Jesus did plan this ahead. He prepared it. That's why when he said to the owner, Owner's like, why are you taking this colt? Just tell him the master needs it. And a lot of people think, oh, this is the time that Jesus has set. We don't know fully, but this is also brings us back to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah is the second to last book in the Old Testament, and it has this outstanding verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, can we say this together? Two words, ready? Your king is coming to you. 
righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, you know, we might have heard this verse growing up in childhood because pastors use this verse, and I've used this verse. I never read further. And it's basically saying this Messiah is going to come on a colt, and we're like, there it is. It's in the Old Testament. But it's actually even more beautiful. This was written 500 years before Jesus. Do you guys remember 500 years ago? What was in America 500 years ago? Not us. Just maybe Indians. Europeans were in maybe 1492. Maybe, yeah, they were just landing. 1492, Christopher Columbus held the ocean blue. 500 years ago, Prophet Zechariah said, the Messiah is coming. He'll be riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But I thought, that's beautiful. But it goes further. Look at this. Next verse. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. What happens when you cut and break the battle bow? It means I don't need to use it anymore. It means the fighting is over. The peace has come. And he shall speak peace. Someone say peace. peace. To the nations. His rule, his rule, though Messiah's rule, shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The next verse is saying this Messiah is not just coming to say, hey, he's come. He's coming to bring peace for the whole world once and for all. It gets better. I was like, oh my goodness, we should read the Bible more. Verse 11, let's read this together. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. You got to go wow at this moment. Where do you hear blood of my covenant? I'll give you a hint. Last week. Where did you hear blood of my covenant in church? This is the blood of my covenant. The new covenant shed, set, shed for, sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. See, Zechariah doesn't even realize who Jesus is. He's speaking to God. And what Zechariah is writing here is through this Messiah's blood, there will be a new covenant between us and God that we will bring peace for the whole world and their prisoners will be set free from the waterless pit. Now just take a moment. Think of a pit with water. Now think of the pit without water. <laughs> what does it look like? It's basically a dark hole. It's death. And what Zechariah is saying is this Messiah is going to come in and through his blood, he's going to free prisoners from their death once and for all. This is exactly tied to a Messiah that comes riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Paul, not Paul, Palm Sunday is showing us only Jesus in the whole world, amongst all the gods and religions out there you could believe, there is only one being that can set prisoners free from sin. And it is the one that came in riding on the donkey. This is more than just Palm Sunday. This is God's plan from the beginning of time. And here's a third question. What's up with the spreading the cloak on the road for Jesus? Um, Luke chapter 19, verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And there's only one story in the whole Bible where you see people spreading their cloak. 
on the road. Only one story, the whole Bible. This is just coincidence, but there's only one story. And we have to go back to 2 Kings. And after King David died, there were many kings that came up after him. You know, remember like uh, Alexander the Great? After he died, his sons and all these people took over, and it was never the same, and the, the Greek empire just folded. Well, after King David died, and Solomon rose up, and he died, Israel had many kings. More than half of the kings were evil and wicked. They said, I'm king. I don't need God. And so during this time, um, there was a time where King Ahab, an evil king, went into the temple of the Lord, just pictured the temple, holy temple Solomon built, and he started worshiping Baal in God's own house. Now, just to shock you, can you imagine in this church next week, we have like gamblers, drug addicts, just doing stuff here, just people fornicating. We have people going to the bathroom everywhere. We have people just, just completely desecrating this place, and we say, that's fine. This is church. No. Will we have people worshiping their own idols in this own sanctuary? You'll be upset. You know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, there was churches that were vandalized by throwing rocks and they were spray painted with swastikas and it's just craziness. And the church members said, this is sad, but we're, we're, gonna, we're more than a building. We're going to come together. But the symbol for the Jews was that God dwelt in the temple and a king said, you know what? I feel like worshiping a different God. And so God said, I'm going to judge you. I'm going to come and cleanse this out. And he does it with a man named Jehu. And Jehu had no idea he was going to be king, which is fun, right? You wake up one day, and all of a sudden, God says, hey, by the way, you're going to be king. And he comes to Jehu, and then a prophet comes and says, thus says the Lord, I anoint you as king over Israel. And this is what happens. He comes out of the room, and people are like, what did God say? What was the message to you? And this is what he says. Um, yes, the Lord says, I will be anointed as king over Israel. I am now the king. Verse 13, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. They took all their clothes they proclaim Jehu is king. So what's fascinating here is there's this connection with people recognizing someone who's coming to cleanse out the temple of idol worship. So a king is coming to clean out the land from people who've worshipped their own gods and worshipped their own kings. And this picture is Jehu being anointed by God to go into Israel, into the temple, and cleansing them out. And I thought that was just a weird coincidence. But here's the crazy part. If you read five verses after today's text, Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. People are waving branches and lying clothes. Guess where he goes very next? Let's read it together. Read it, join me, please. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a tent of robbers. I don't think that's a coincidence. What is this showing us about Jesus? Jesus literally came 
to clear the land and the temple of idolatry. This is fascinating to me because Jesus comes as king, he comes as savior, and he comes as the cleanser and the judge of false gods. Your time is up. Idolatry is finished. God is going to reclaim his people. Sin, you will be defeated. And he comes, showing all of this without people realizing it, riding on a colt. You know, people sense all of this because when they saw Jesus coming, they were quoting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. You know where that's from? That's from Psalm 118. And that's a psalm dedicated to the Messiah. You know, um, can you imagine like uh, next Sunday we play that presidential song? Duh. What's the presidential song? Um, come on, Charles, give me a tune. Hey, da, 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 something like that. <laughs> you know, we know the president's song. And then you're like, oh my goodness, the door opens up, and then you see Jason Coe walking in. It's like, Ugh, that, that's for the president. What is Pastor Jason doing here? Well, th- that's a silly imagery, but when people say one, Psalm 118 of Jesus, what they're saying is, that's the Messiah. He's come. He, it's, it's over. And the Pharisees were going, <laughs> time out now. Time out. That's not the Messiah. What are you doing here? Jesus is not the Messiah. He's taking our people. And that's the reason why they were so angry. I was wondering, why are they so angry that people are worshiping and saying these praises? It's because they're saying, you're the real Messiah. And the Pharisees said, time out. It's, it's fascinating to me. Because how does Jesus respond when they say to him, teacher? The Pharisees said to the crowd and to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples because they're saying you are the Messiah. Now, now, watch this. Jesus, your disciples are saying you're the Messiah. Rebuke them. How dare they say that? Look what Jesus says. You ready? This is a Jason Coe version of the Bible. Guys, you're making me look real bad here. You're going to get me killed. Cut down with this Messiah talk and shh. Just wave the branches and shut up. Right? No. Does Jesus go, hold on a second. All right, this is getting a little bit tense. I just want to come in nicely, but I don't want to ruffle the feathers of Roman Empire and Pharisees. No, look what he says. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Do you know what he's saying there? What they are saying is the absolute truth. I am. Period. He doesn't discount it. He doesn't water it away. He says, what they're saying of me, that's exactly what I came for. I am the king. I am the savior and the cleanser of this land. Question for us as we enter Passion Week, as we kind of wrap this up, in light of all this, just a few questions. Do you truly see Jesus as the one and only king of your life? And not just for Israel's king, but for your life.
is Jesus the King of your life as we enter this Passion Week? Second question, do you see Jesus as a Savior for sinners only or not just sinners in general, but your Savior for your sins because you're a sinner? Has he become the Savior for you? Because that's exactly what he came for. And third, do you see that Jesus is the one who judges idolatry? And not just the idolatry of Israel and evil people, but let's get personal. The idols in your life, Jesus comes to judge and say, I am God. And I think this Palm Sunday, we're reminded we still need Jesus to deliver us. We still need Jesus to rescue us and rule over us because we are people of perpetual idolatry. We make love beautiful things into God's. We make things that God gave to us as a gift the God. He didn't give you your family so you could worship them. He gave you your family because he loved you and it points back to how great he's a heavenly father. And so this Palm Sunday, it reminds us that Jesus is still the Messiah we're waiting for. And not because we need something, because, but because he is the great I am. Um, I love Marvel Universe. Next week, Endgames is coming out. And I love the, what do Marvel movies do at the end of the movie? They have the, they have the titles and names of people, and then they have what's called a Easter egg, end credit scenes. I realize the Bible has an end credit scene of Palm Sunday. Look at this. Just take a moment in silence and read this. The beauty of Jesus Christ coming in this Jerusalem is the ultimate foreshadowing that one day people from every nation, tribe, and tongue because of his deliverance and his reign and his kingship, we will come and humbly kneel down and we will be waving those branches saying, victorious, victorious, you alone are worthy of all glory. Let's pray together. Lord God, what a glimpse and a beautiful picture of the reality that you are not just one of many spiritual entities out there, but you are the true and living God that we've been waiting for. You came 2,000 years ago, and we still don't get it today. And we still fall away. We still make other kings of our lives. And we still bring idols. And we still, Lord God, just look at life as if we deserve so much more than we, we really have. Humble us. Open our eyes by your grace. Draw us closer into your presence. And may this picture of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 be lived out by your grace because we are overwhelmed by what you've done by entering Jerusalem, going to the cross, dying, 
and rising again. We worship you. We declare you are God. And all these things we pray in your most holy name. Amen.